everyone and welcome to episode 73 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and this is a podcast about communication skills. So lately I've been trying to talk about some broad skills that apply to any situation. Um, Today I want to narrow that down a little bit and talk about a communication or a process of communication or a process of persuasion that's particularly suitable when you have a difficult or obstinate audience. Uh, It involves an attempt at persuasion when on the surface it seems persuasion would be highly unlikely. And this derives from a a method of training police officers from from the early 90s um, or throughout the 90s. I don't know if they train police officers in these kinds of ways uh, at all anymore, but they used to train police officers in communication skills and this was the kind of one of the kind of methods that they trained officers with. And I say that because it, it provides some important context um, because in the minds of the, this original kind of uh, communication process, imagine a police officer who has pulled someone over for drunk driving or for speeding or whatever. The police officer goes into that situation expecting a relatively hostile audience, expecting an audience that's not going to be inclined to uh, work with that person. So what the police officer always has at his or her disposal, uh, uh, what we might call involuntary, methods of involuntary compliance. So if someone doesn't do what the police officer wants, the police officer can just like handcuff them, beat them with a nightstick, taser them, they pull out their gun. They have all these kinds of modes of recourse to um, subdue or to gain compliance from the person they're trying to arrest or that they've pulled over. But that's really bad, right? I mean, the, the, you don't want to use force and you don't want involuntary compliance with a request. Really, if a police officer is doing his or her job, they get voluntary compliance or they get someone to willingly go along with what the police officer wants, even if that thing is an arrest. So these kinds of training started out with one, the assumption that not all audiences are receptive, like a lot of audiences are hostile to what you're trying to do or or what you're trying to get them to do. And two, uh, voluntary compliance is way, way, way better than involuntary compliance. So forcing one someone to do something is worse than using language or using communication to persuade them to do something on their own terms. So this is a kind of what I call a four-step method for persuading difficult audiences. Um, and I wanna, I'm gonna use the kind of metaphor of the police officer, but I also wanna use the metaphor of a parent talking to a teenager or a, a child, because it works the same and some of this kind of trickled into parenting philosophies in the 1990s also. Um, but essentially the, uh, the process looks like this. Um, Okay, so let's imagine you are a police officer, you've pulled someone over because they're swaying around, it's late at night, Uh, you walk up to the the side of the car, you knock on the window, and you notice that the person has an open bottle of whiskey in the passenger seat. Okay, like, what do you do? So the first thing the police officer would know from their training is that they have two choices. 
they can tell the person, they see the alcohol, they know there's a problem, they can say to the person, hey, get out of the car right now. So that's a command. And based on what I've said throughout this podcast, we can think for a second about what that, what the reaction to that command is likely to be. So that is clearly a push tactic of persuasion, and you have likely a drunk person who's unhappy that he, he or she has been pulled over. So are they gonna respond favorably to that command? No is almost universally the answer. No one wants to be told what to do. They, no one ever wants to be told what to do, especially in heightened tense circumstances like that. Someone doesn't want to be told what to do. So the first part of this kind of four-step process is that in an, the initial part of any encounter with a difficult audience, you never tell that audience what to do. You don't give commands. Instead, you ask questions. So police officers, and if you've been pulled over lately, they likely have been trained in asking these questions. So do you know why I pulled you over? Um, so is that a is that an open bottle of whiskey on your uh, on on the, your passenger seat? Uh, so what are you up to tonight? What have you been doing? So you ask, you don't tell, you don't give commands first. So you want to ask a couple of questions and see how the person responds, but you also want to ask a question that gets at what you really want out of that situation. So the police officer wants the the person to get out of the car, right? So the police officer has to know there's two ways that person is coming out of the car, either involuntarily by the police officer going in and snatching him and removing him physically, or voluntarily by the person kind of opening the door and stepping out on their own terms. Well, telling them to get out of the car is more likely to lead to an involuntary removal of the car because the person will get defensive and uh, resist what's going on. So you ask a couple questions and then you ask, do you mind stepping out of the car for me? For a minute so we can talk about this some more so you ask them to get out of the car so initially this first step might produce a positive outcome but let's say hypothetically that it doesn't so the person says no i don't want to get out of the car so they've rejected your question what do you do then then you move to the second step and the second step involves uh setting contexts essentially uh so you set a context for what's going on here. Um, so, you know, I, I, so the person's like, I'm not getting out of the car. Okay. What do I do? Um, you say, you soften your tone and say, listen, there's a whiskey bottle right by your leg or right in the passenger seat. That constitutes under the law, what we call an open bottle charge. I don't have much of a choice, but to have you step out because I'm required to enter your vehicle and take a look at the bottle and what else is in the car. And I'm asking you to get out because it's for your safety and mine. And my department policy says, I have to ask you to get out. So then you ask again, would you do that for me? So this is what's called setting up the context. So you're describing in detail with specificity and in a calm voice, what's going on around the situation to get the person to focus on those components of those situations. So you ask first, do you mind getting out of the car? No. You set the context, well, there's an open bottle there, that's an open bottle charge, my my department says I have I have to go in and, and look around, etc. So I've set the context. Um, well, some cops don't like this, of course. Cops are like, you know, some of them are quite, uh, ener well, let's call them energetic or tough guys, and they would really want to just grab the guy, pull him out of the car, pin him to the ground and cuff him and rough him up. But of course, that's police brutality. That's not what we want. 
Um, so the word context, though, is is crucial here. And the police officer has to know that it's the police officer's responsibility to provide context. Um, it literally comes from the Greek, from the Latin um, to weave together, to join. So what you're trying to do is kind of weave together and make a coherent picture of the situation that you're in. Uh, you also, when you do that, so, so they would teach the police this because it grounds the police officer in a sense of professionalism. And it grounds, it provides context for the police officer's request also. Um, so let's say you've done this. Maybe the person gets out at that point. Maybe the person doesn't. Let's say the person says, you know, I don't know anything about the bottle. I took some people to a party last night. They drank some whiskey and they probably left the bottle in. I don't even like whiskey. It's not my bottle, so it's not my problem. And I'm not getting out of the car. So um, here, the person's still refusing. So you still have an obstinate or difficult audience. So you say, okay, listen, that's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting distinction you're drawing between whether it's your bottle or whether it's not your bottle. But the law, it doesn't really make that distinction. So you're, at, you're continuing to add context. The law basically says if there's an open container in your car and you're the driver, you're responsible for that open container. So that might not be fair. You might not think it's fair. But under the law, I'd like to think you'd cooperate me with me because you respect the law. So if you stepped out of the car, I could check the bottle and I could chat with you about why I stopped you in the first place. And that way, it looks as if you're going to be able to go home tonight and be with your family and eat at your own table and sleep in your own bed. I like to think that you want that. Now, um, the law says if you want, you can come with us, eat with us, and stay overnight in the jail or sleep with us. We'd call that an arrest, but we don't really need to do that. That's lots of paperwork for me, uh, and you don't really want that kind of trouble. So you have really two choices. You can either step out of the car and we can talk about it, or I can come into the car and arrest you. So which one would you like? This is step three, it's called presenting options. Those are options, they're not threats. And the reason that they work is that you're providing the person with some agency. Um, the power of, in other words, the power of choice is with the person. And the, the choices are highly specific. So specificity is one of the secrets of persuasion here. Helping people see, so context is important and, and specificity is important. Helping people see what you want them to see. Um, so let's say he still says, I don't want to get out. I'm not getting out of the car. I'm not doing it. No way. Um, okay, now here is step four. Um, he, he hasn't, he's still, the audience is still obstinately refused. So this is the final question you ask before you start be, becoming more assertive. You ask the magic question, is there anything I can say or do at this particular time to get you to cooperate with me? I'd sure like to think that there is, and hopefully there is, because I'm really invested in your cooperation. So that's really pleasant, a really positive question. I've seen it, like, so, so police officers will use this in very difficult circumstances, uh, and sometimes that will kind of calm the person down. Uh, occasionally the person will still say, no, I'm, I'm, there's nothing you can say or do that there's nothing you could say or do that would get me to cooperate. And if that happens, then you have to give up on the process of persuasion or the process of looking for voluntary compliance. Then you have to sort of say, if you're the cop, okay, I need to take you out of the car. Now I'm going to do that. 
I'm going to put handcuffs on you, etc. You're going to come down to the, the station. Um, so those four parts were what they trained police officers in to try and get them to, to, to the space or the place of verbal, uh, trying to get them to use language uh, to gain voluntary compliance with difficult, difficult um, apprehensions. So you ask, you provide context, you provide options, and then you ask if there's anything they could do to earn your cooperation, those four things. Now, this, this model actually works in all sorts of situations for anybody that's not a cop also. So imagine you have a child, I have children, imagine you're a parent with children, and uh, my kids have chores, chores to do. So uh, my youngest son, Julian, right, right now or these days is, has to do, has to wash the dishes after dinner. And he doesn't like it. It's like a big hassle to him. So he doesn't want to do it. So let's say we've eaten dinner. Um, we're about to, to go on with the rest of the day. I say, Julian, and the dishes aren't done. So I have two choices as a, parent, as a parent. I can say, just like the cop, Julian, go and do the dishes. That's a command. So I know he doesn't like doing it. He doesn't want to do it. He wants to go play basketball instead. If I issue a command, what's going to happen? It's a push tactic of persuasion. I'm making an assertion. He's going to react negatively and want to push back or defensively, and I'm going to ratchet up conflict. So don't make an assertion. Instead, I can ask a question. Julian, do you mind doing the dishes? You know, um, are you doing anything else right now? Do you, can you just take care of the dishes right now so that we can go and do something else later? So I've asked a question. So I ask him a question. Maybe he complies. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he says, no, no, I, I don't want to do the dishes. Uh, I'm not your slave. I don't do the dishes anymore. This whole chore thing is nonsense. So I've got a really, really difficult audience. So then I have to, as a parent, provide some context. I say, oh, well, Julian, if you remember, a couple months ago, we all agreed that, that everyone in the house would have one daily chore, one weekly chore, and one bi-weekly chore. You said that that was fine. We chose which chores we would do, and we're also rotating the chores on a month-by-month -month basis. So next month, your brother will have to do the dishes. But this month, uh, that is your daily chore, so you're responsible for that. And I also want to remind you that, you know, it's just the three of us here in the house and there's a lot of work to do in the house. And, you know, in order for us to keep things uh, going or keep things functioning well, it requires all of us to chip in. And we agree that we kind of look out for each other and help each other out like that. So it seems like you'd be going back on your word to help out and to do these kinds of chores if you said no. So I'm adding context to what's going on, I'm trying to get him to see the larger contextual situation. I might also say, look, if it's a short, there's not very many dishes today, there's only a few plates. If you finish that up quickly, we can go outside, play, can play basketball, we can do these other things instead of you know talking and complaining about it. And I might also add context like, you know, kids that do chores, they're much more successful later in life. You know, you're learning some responsibility and it's my job to get you to learn some responsibility. So I've added a bunch of context. And it's like, do you mind doing the, the dishes now? And still he says, no, 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 I'm not your slave. I'm not doing the dishes. I don't give a crap about any of that context. No way, don't care. Now I gotta present options. So I say, okay, we only got a couple options. Uh, I can force you to do the dishes and not give you any ice cream tonight, not let you watch TV tonight. Uh, you'll have to go immediately to bed because of this kind of obstinate behavior. So there's going to be consequences. You're not going to be allowed to play basketball this weekend uh, for your team. So I can give some consequences. Uh, so if you don't do the dishes, I have to do them. And then there will be these negative consequences. If you do the dishes, then everything is fine and, and there's no problem. So which are you going to choose? You're going to choose not to do them or you're going to choose to do them. 
And he's still going to say, oh, I choose not to do them. Forget it. I'll take the consequences. I can go right to bed. I hate the dishes. I don't want to do them. So then I go to step four. Uh, is there anything I can do to gain your cooperation here? Is there anything I can say to gain your cooperation? Because it's really important to me that all of us pitch in and that, that you cooperate. Uh, and in that case, maybe Julian says again, no, there's nothing you can do. I hate this. I, I'm not your slave. I'm not doing the dishes. So I've tried the four-step process. And then I say, okay, so I'm going to do the dishes myself now. And the consequence of me doing the dishes is that you're not allowed to watch TV for the last, like whatever the consequences are. And so he knows he's responsible for those consequences. Now, the reason you go through the four-step process is that each step along the way, you increase the likelihood of gaining voluntary compliance. So whether it's the police officer trying to arrest a difficult subject or a parent trying to get their kid to do chores around the house, each of those steps is a kind of gentle way of gaining voluntary compliance instead of forcing something on someone. Um, and, and this kind of works in, this works in all sorts of situations. So the questions are designed to give agency to the audience and the kind of, it, it's, it's the process is designed to draw you closer to the audience instead of pushing them and pushing them to be on the defensive. So those kinds of, and I, I talked about assertion in our earlier, is assertion really the best method of persuasion in an earlier episode of the podcast? And um, I really don't think that it is. People don't like to be told what to do. Telling someone what to do is rarely an effective persuasive strategy. And telling someone what to do, a push tactic of persuasion, almost always amplifies defensiveness and conflict and agitation and anxiety. Um, and that just always makes voluntary compliance or getting the kind of action that you want out of a communicative interaction less likely. So if we're thinking strategically, if we're thinking as strategic communicators, we can use this kind of four-step process in all sorts of circumstances. Uh, if my boss, like if I'm working with my boss and I want my boss to do something, I don't go in and tell my boss, you should hire someone for the Midwest sales division. It's really important that person. So, you know, I might say, have you ever thought about hiring someone for the Midwest sales division? And my boss is like, no, 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 we don't have the money for that right now. Well, like the Midwest sales seem to be growing. Like I know we don't have that. So I add context for it. You know, would you, have you ever, you know, maybe we should think about this. No, 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 that's a really bad idea. Well, you could hire someone for the Midwest office uh, and that would look like this, or you could not, you could put the money elsewhere or ignore that problem, but that would be the con. So it's really your choice about which option you want to want to choose. No, 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 I'm still not choosing that option. Uh, well, I think this is really important for the company. So if there's anything I could do to get you to, to follow this strategy or to cooperate with me on, on this particular uh, thing going forward, let me know what that is and, and I'll do it. No, there's nothing you can do to get me to cooperate. Um, okay, like that didn't work, but uh, that kind of strategy, working through those steps with your boss can also lead to a more likely uh, positive outcome in with what you want. So this kind of four-step strategy or four-step uh, process of persuasion is useful in, in lots of different circumstances. It's not just useful for police officers. If you work in any kind of professional setting, you can employ those four steps to try to increase the likelihood that you'll get the kind of action that you want out of the communicative encounter. Uh, so, and, and that's important to remember, right? Persuasion is about the strategic use of communication in order to induce actions or beliefs, voluntary actions, voluntary changes in beliefs 
that the the communicator wants from their audience. So you know you want persuasion isn't just manipulating someone to do something and they don't realize that that's what they want to do. Uh, persuasion is about convincing someone that to do something, but also convincing them that that it's the right thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. It's a beneficial thing to do. It's an advantageous thing to do. Uh, and that's what's going on with this four-step process. Like even the police officer is getting the person that they're arresting to see that it's advantageous. It's in their interest to step out of the car instead of just fighting with the police officer. You're getting your boss to see it's advantageous to hire someone for this thing. You're getting your son or your daughter to see it's good for them to do the chores. It, it's it's a better outcome here. Uh, so this four-step process is meant to lead to those kinds of actions as a consequence of a communicative encounter. And they, they're they not form push tactics of persuasion. They're, they're kinds of pull tactics of, uh, of persuasion in that they preface or they put questions ahead of ahead of assertions. Okay, so that's a four-step process for difficult situations, four-step process of persuasion for difficult situations. I encourage anyone listening to try this out whenever they encounter a hostile audience and see if you can get compliance in any one of those four steps first. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back shortly with another episode of Now We're Talking.